是台湾人，台湾人，台湾人。Welcome to Taiwan Yuan, where you'll hear stories of Taiwanese innovators, makers, and advocates. You can now support this project on Patreon and help me think of who to interview or what to ask. I'm your host Cindy, and today we're meeting with Ron Chang, the founder and director of Tinker Seeds Children Workshop. It's a progressive learning preschool based in Taipei. Ron and I talk about. All aspects of education, including why testing might not be so relevant anymore, especially in Asia. And I know you feel the same. Let's get into it. Hi, Ron. Tell us about yourself and your connection to Taiwan.、Uh, hi, Cindy. It's nice to meet you, and I'm really honored to be part of your podcast. I love what you're doing with Taiwan Ren. I think it's so needed. And、uh, so I'm Ron, and I'm a U.S. expat living in Taipei. And together with my wife Grace, we started Little Seeds Academy and Tinker Seeds Children's Workshop. Tell us about Tinker Seeds. What is the mission and core values? So Tinker Seeds is a Reggio Emilia-inspired early childhood learning community, and we're teaching English through stories, projects, and art experiences for children ages two to eight. And we're really focused on building a learning community that focuses on meaningful learning experiences, and we do that by shaping authentic opportunities that link children's interests and wonderings with the acquisition of new knowledge and skills. And we can set that up through a student-centered curriculum where the children are learning through play, but then they're also intentionally supported by knowledgeable and engaged teachers. I would say most people are probably more familiar with Montessori kindergartens or Montessori-based schools. How do you think Tinker Seeds or Reggio Emilia differ from what people know or familiar with? Yeah, so Montessori is very popular here in Taiwan, probably Asia, and I think we all borrow from Maria Montessori. We all feel that children are curious and competent learners. They learn through their work and through their play. But I think what sets us apart is That we're looking at learning through groups and being open-ended in our learning. So we're really looking at how children are thinking and the ideas that they want to express. That's what attracted us to Reggio Emilia because in Reggio Emilia, the student is the center of the classroom, and the teachers are almost like researchers, where they're looking at what are the children interested in, and then coming back to them with a provocation to further that that line of inquiry that the children have. We do take some stories like the Three Little Pigs, where the children know the story and then they start acting out the story. But what's really interesting is when we find the children's own stories.、Mm-hmm. So when children are playing and working on different things, they're actually working through stories in their own heads. So the teachers are there listening for these stories and might ask, "Okay, so so and so, did you, Cindy? Did you want to tell me a story?" And she'll say, "Yeah, I want to tell you." And then the teachers they're literally writing out her story, dictating it, and then later on that morning. The、teacher will come with the class together and say, "Oh, Cindy told me a story, and now I'm going to tell it to you." And they'll read the story together, and then we'll invite Cindy on stage, and we'll get some other friends to act out her story. 
And then after a while, the children actually start wanting to narrate their own stories. So they read it because they know how to read and things. So this is the essence of meaningful literacy learning because we're not just exploring, we're not just teaching grammatical structures or vocabulary drills. We don't do vocabulary drills. But this is actually meaningful for the children because we're, we're honoring their stories and their ideas and they get to interact with it with their friends. Mm, and for me, I love that. You mentioned in a workshop, which is in the name of Tinker Seats, and the term co-learners for teachers, I think, is special to this approach. That's right. I think that it's not just the children who are really having fun in the classroom. Mm -hmm. When we talk about co-learning the teachers, it's a lot more interesting to us as educators to teach in this way. Because it's not just, oh, I already know this, so I'm just going to show the children how to do it. Mm -hmm. We're really looking at it from an angle of, trying to get a window or insight into what the children are thinking and learning with them. And so we're co-creating, co-constructing knowledge with them. So how did you get to Taiwan to launch a preschool? (laughs) Right. So I was born and raised in New York, New Jersey, and I spent my whole life in those two states up until, I guess it's almost six years now. So my connection to Taiwan is actually through my wife, who's Taiwanese-American, She was born in New York, but she was raised in Taipei. And around the time we were starting to plan a family, that's when we were looking into reading about parenthood. And then got to education, and then got to early childhood. And so we started looking around schools in New York just to see what progressive education looks like. Mm. By the time our daughter was born, we, we decided we wanted to work in early childhood and open up preschools. And that's when my in-laws found out that we were interested in this and they've been running preschools in Taipei for over 40 years. So they asked us if we wanted to move to Taipei to open our dream school. And we just said, yeah, that'd be great. That's wild. So <laughs> we just, yeah. uh, after a year, we, we just said, yes, we're going to do this. And we moved here in early 2015 with our daughter at the time. And now we've, you know, five years later, we have two schools and now three children. Was it everything you imagined when you first made the move? I didn't really know what to expect. Mm. We were just really excited, I think, and buzzing about, okay, how are we going to build this school here? We have some support from family that know the business side, operational side, and then just seeing if something like this would work here. And actually, I think it's funny. I think Grace had more of a culture shock than I did (laughs) because she hadn't lived in Taipei for a while. And then coming back, she would always come back on vacation. So this is the first time coming back to actually live Mm -hmm. in Taipei. So it was a little bit more culture shock for her. Do you have an example of that? When you're coming back for just short periods of time, maybe for two weeks or so on vacation, life is different in Taipei than when you're coming back and you're living here Mm -hmm. for a long time. So little things like how the traffic is like, you know, everyday things, getting onto the subway, I can't pay my bills online. I have to go to a convenience store. You know, now it's convenient. Now it's interesting. It's good. It's fine. But that was little bits of some culture shock, I think. Is there any difference you've noticed in the way people communicate or think? Between Taiwanese and Americans? Yeah. Yeah. So this was something I think I was trying to prepare myself for before we moved. Because I'd seen online about different things where, yes, Taiwanese are very friendly, but in in work culture, it's a little different. There's something about saving face, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. So people aren't so direct. Right. And that's difficult for me because I'm pretty direct. 
especially when working with others. Yeah. But I think as long as we approach problems together and I'm genuinely interested in solving the problem with someone, then I think it's, it's okay. But mm-hmm. I have to be careful sometimes. Sometimes people don't like it so direct. Right. Oh, man. That's me, too. Yeah. <laughs> but you, I would get in trouble here. Yeah. <laughs> Back to education for a second and launching this very progressive preschool in Taiwan. Do you think the parents here understand the concept? So when we first opened, Little Seas was the first one we opened. We weren't actually sure if this would be successful because people were used to have, especially for an English program, they're looking for what books are you are you going to provide? Mm. And we took over that small school and turned to Little Seeds. We inherited 13 families and made to speak to each one of those parents individually about the kind of program we're bringing together. And if you trust us, things will be okay. And they, mm. they kept asking, so what books are you going to use? And we said, well, we do have picture books that we will be using, but we don't have a they're like some of textbooks and we're not going to be using textbooks. Mm. And it was like a blank stare back at us. And they later they just kept asking, so what book are you using again? <laughs> but after a while, we noticed that there was a really good niche of parents who were, maybe they knew about a progressive education, or at least they were open-minded about it. And they really liked it. The message resonated with them. Mm. So we have found a really good niche of parents in Taiwan that, that really appreciate it. And I think the appetite for progressive education is growing. For a modern-day parent in Taiwan, what do you think is most important to them? What I see from parents, especially in the preschool stage, is at first they're very only single-mindedly focused on making sure their kids are happy no matter what. Of course, we want them to be happy. Sometimes, though, it can become something about, well, we don't want to, we want to shield them from all obstacles in life. Mm. And actually, I think that is going to do more harm to the child. We want children to be able to face challenges and obstacles with supportive adults in their lives. Mm-hmm. So they will have to feel some challenges and some pain sometimes. So that's actually something we try to promote and talk to parents about in our own learning communities because, yes, we do keep a very safe, very fun environment for the children. But as part of that, they are going to meet obstacles, especially when dealing with other children. There are going to be social conflicts, and that's where we need to come together as teachers and parents to support the children's overcoming of these challenges and not simply just taking them away. So you know that in the daytime I work in the kids industry as well, something I've been really fascinated by is the return of boredom, you know, man-made boredom, boredom on purpose, if you will, because kids today are so overstimulated, guilty of this, as I make apps for kids, you know, so, um, there's value in boredom. There's value in challenges. So it's not always negative. I love that you brought that up, uh, the boredom part. I think I read there was some camps, boredom camps, or <laughs> for adults, like going to unplug, yeah. right? Very interesting. But for children especially, yeah, things are definitely overplanned for them. And they've lost their sense of agency and mm. being able to do things on their own. I know f- for our own children, especially my, my oldest, my seven-year-old daughter, she will come to us sometimes on the weekend and say, oh, what should I do now? We just tell her that that's up to you. You can go read a book over there. Oh, I don't want to do that. Okay, well, you, there's a lot of things you can play here. We have some toys, some, some art, and things, markers. There's all sorts of things you can do. You, you need to figure it out yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we instill in the children because as a child I grew up with, I guess it could be a boring summer, but it was just filled with our own activities. Right. We found out what to do on our own, either by myself or with other kids. 
Well, thank you for sharing that. I love that she even just verbalized that, you know, she understood that feeling. How do you think education is evolving in Taiwan? So I found out maybe two, three years ago about this uh, Experimental Education Act in Taiwan. I think it's been around for a while, actually. But I think in the past couple of years, there's been a proliferation of experimental elementary schools opening up junior high schools and senior high schools. I know that Taiwan is sort of going on this goal to become a bilingual country in the coming decade. So I think there's a lot of interesting things that are happening now in education in Taiwan that we hope to be a part of. Being in the pre-primary space, we have a little more leeway in how we can approach. We have a progressive curriculum. But for elementary schools, especially public schools and private schools, it's still very much parents are less open about having a progressive program there. I've had a parent in one of our, in a little seed say, oh yeah, I love this program. It's very progressive and, and open-ended. But by first grade, yeah, we got to hit the books. <laughs> and I kind of looked at her and smiled, but I was thinking in my mind that, well, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that there's no value in learning from books or, or rigorous learning. I believe in academic learning too, but it needs to be balanced I talked about how at Tinker Seeds were balancing children's curiosity and wondering with intellectually rigorous work as well, you mm-hmm. know. And I think that follows through all the way from first grade to 12th grade. And with the Experimental Education Act, I think educators are free to innovate in that space and find more meaningful learning opportunities, not just for kindergartners, but for all these grade levels. And that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Do you see a disconnect even with the way we're learning now and the skills we actually need? Definitely. I always think that the way the school system set up now, is, it was made maybe 100 years ago where it's factory yeah. style. And it's really made so that people know how can come out of school, knowing the basics, learning how to read and write and add and subtract. But that's not, those aren't the skills we need now. And they're definitely not the skills we're going to need in maybe 20 years. So we don't really know what kind of jobs there might be for my kids when they graduate. And so it's going to be more important to make sure that we're nurturing that love of learning that children are born with and teaching them how to continue that learning for themselves and giving them that agency to continue to learn. That's going to be an important skill. Because we can't just say, oh, we know that they're going to need to know X, Y, Z because it's this job in 10 years. That we don't know at all. Things are moving so fast. So we need to go back to just teaching children about how to learn, how to connect with their emotions, how to connect with other people, and how to articulate their ideas and how to learn. And those are the basic elements of education. Okay, so I think that parents can really understand the benefits that you're describing, but I can still feel resistance from parents for switching completely to progressive education. What do you think is sort of underlying for them for that from that resistance or what are they afraid of? Right. So it is driven by fear. You picked up on that. And it's driven by the, we all want our children to have a good life and future. Mm-hmm. And we look to our own past on what were the, what did we feel were, when we grew up, what were the, what did we need to succeed? And that was, you know, acing for Americans. It was acing like the SATs. For Taiwanese, it's probably getting into a good senior high school, yeah. entrance exam there. And then you have your college entrance exams. 
It's all about exam-based things. So that's what they might be fearing. All right, this sounds great, but how do I know if that's really going to happen in the next 10 years? Mm-hmm. And I go with this progressive route and it's not going to happen. So that's driven by that fear. That's a risk for sure. It is a risk. So I've talked to some parents here and there about what they might like in their own dream elementary school. Because I've also had some thoughts about someday opening an experimental elementary school. Because I think that what we're doing here at Tinker Seeds can really lead up to uh, higher grades too. They're still driven that fear about, well, will they be able to ace their SATs? Will they be able to go to college? And I tell them, quite frankly, that I think that by the time our children are going to college in the next 15 to 20, 25 years, college can be different for, for them mm-hmm. too. And we already see that in, I think, the California university system. They're going to do away with mandatory SATs. Oh, uh, wow. You might have to fact check that. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're slowly going to see this change where it's not going to be so heavily test-driven mm-hmm. because standardized testing has its benefits, but it can't be the leading driver because if you're only testing something that's measurable, you're going to miss out on some really mm. big parts of what it is to be human because not everything is just measurable. I think that the education systems are going to evolve to understand that, and colleges will also evolve to understand that. And there's going to be less a need for declaring majors, I think, in college. So I think if we're going to just be preparing our children for what we went through and to go to college, I think they will be less prepared to leave a productive and happy life. So as parents, we also need to be risk takers and know that in your heart that, yes, a meaningful learning experience that connects the rigorous mathematics and science with also what the children are interested in, Mm -hmm. that is what I want for my children. And that is progressive education. And that's what we need to do now and not wait until it's too late. That's more passion-led from the kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell us more about your dream school. Right. (laughs) Well, a lot of times it may sound... um, Simplistic, but I just really see it as an outgrowth of what we're doing now mm-hmm. at Tinker Seeds and Little Seeds. We're, we're learning through projects and children's wonderings, but also the critical component to that child-led experience is intentional support from knowledgeable and engaged teachers that drive that learning forward. So it's not just simply a child is interested in this type of thing and that's all we're going to do. Mm. We'll make sure we kind of encourage and set up opportunities that have children learning about things that we feel that are worthwhile and meaningful while also getting to their ABCs and their multiplication tables and things which are still important. Yeah, It's not so much of what to convert from this traditional elementary school Mm -hmm. to fit our goals, but it's an outgrowth of what I see in the children now and what they need as they construct their knowledge. And we want to teach ethics, I think. Ethics is a big part of it. And this drive to contribute responsibly to humanity, I think. So that's also part of what I think, I guess it's called moral education as well. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a lot of progressive ed- education in Taiwan or beyond, and a lot of it is more private based settings, these opportunities are more available for families with higher income, um, especially in Taiwan, Taipei American School. 
It's very famous for its tuition, yeah. <laughs> you know, barrier to entry, if you will. Yeah. So what are your hopes there? So I think that progressive education is more expensive to build and create, especially since we're not just learning from textbooks and we're hiring teachers to, to deliver content. We need to support teachers who are obviously trained and have the education degrees to back it up. But we need to also provide professional development, ongoing professional development for teachers from around the world, you know, flying in people from Metro Amelia or uh, from different areas to, to develop their practice. So this is all very expensive. So schools are expensive, but I hope that part of my dream for an experimental school would also to make it accessible because like you mentioned, there's a lot of great private schools like TAS that have that are great, but they're really a barrier to entry for most people. And I think that a school that I want to build would be accessible. So we'd have a large portion of the tuition backed up through scholarships. So maybe there'd be maybe less than half need to pay the full tuition. Everyone else is indexed to their income and even some that are just coming in on a on free scholarship, free tuition. And the point of that is not just for social justice, but I think it benefits the student population to have that socioeconomic diversity of families and, and children in that community. So that's also a big part of what I'd hope to build. And that just means it's going to be a lot more expensive. Yeah, it's a righteous dream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As an expat living in Taiwan, do you have any highlights or lowlights to share? I love being an expat in Taiwan. I think it's so great. Maybe it's because I've spent all, almost all my life just holed up in these two states in America on the East Coast. So coming here, I feel like everything's still new to me. So some of the highlights, I love I love the food, of course. Neuromian, <laughs> that's my favorite. And just trying out the different uh, fine dining restaurants that are around Taiwan. A lot of expats have come back to open amazing restaurants too. So that's really great. It's some of the low lights, I think, were just from COVID. We, we had hoped to, since we moved to Taiwan, we'd be able to travel a little bit more mm-hmm. around uh, the Pacific, you know, Australia, New Zealand, Korea, Vietnam, Thailand, Philippines. But because of COVID, we've really kind of not able to travel. But also it's because of our youngest, you know, he's only you know, a year and a half, so mm-hmm. we can't travel with him either. But hopefully in a couple of years, we'll be able to do some more traveling. And also around Taiwan, you know, haven't been able to yeah. travel around Taiwan because the, the past few years we've been focused on our schools, you know, just wake up in the morning, drop with the kids, go to work and come back home, eat dinner and go to sleep. So hopefully we'll be able to start traveling around Taiwan more because Taiwan's beautiful. Mm-hmm. You mentioned COVID. So I noticed <laughs> that a lot of people are coming back to Taiwan during COVID. Yeah. Some of them deciding to relocate permanently. Do you have any tips for people who are considering a move back to Taiwan? I would say move back to Taiwan, <laughs> um, first of all, because step one. step one, because it's a beautiful country, no matter where you live, even if you live here in Taipei, it's a dense city, but there are mountains right around here and hiking and, and everything's accessible. So I think that um, it's a great place to be. Any tips? I would say that when we first came, we were, you know, I kind of missed Amazon a little bit because I ordered everything from Amazon, (laughs) even groceries at, you know, at the end. 
But there are definitely some other alternatives that we found out much later on. Much know, later on? Yeah, because I was looking at PC Home more for as a as a one stop. Like, oh, this is the Amazon, but it didn't have everything. No. But I think there's like two or three good sites that have pretty much everything. I think one we really found was Shopee. 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 Yeah, yeah. Shopee. I hear it on my on Grace's phone all the time. Shopee. <laughs> um, Taobao. Yeah, Taobao. Yeah. So lots of great stuff. The convenience stores were a strange thing for me. How much they have different that you can pay bills there, and you can even pick up your your stuff that you bought online. That was very interesting. So that's pretty fun too. Especially so if you're an expat community and you might not be able to have access to a credit card right away, mm. you can still pay for things through the convenience stores. Like you can order on Shopee and tell the seller that okay, I'm going to pay in cash at the Seven Eleven, mm. and they'll still deliver it there, and you can pay in cash. What is your hope for education in Taiwan? Yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> I think that Taiwan's education system is on a good trajectory with the Experimental Education Act and the move toward bilingualism. I think they also need to look into something that's a little different about bilingualism. So when you look at bilingual education, let's say English Chinese. You're going to have a class done in English and maybe a class done in Chinese,、mm-hmm. and it's separate. And actually, what we need to move more towards is a multilinguistic orientation rather than a monolinguistic orientation.、Mm-hmm. The monolinguistic orientation is just like we have now. Oh, you're in Chinese class; it's just going to be Chinese. English is separate. Multilinguistic will be looking at the entire linguistic repertoire of children of your students、mm-hmm. and using that together. So a melding of Chinese and English, or whatever languages you want to promote in your system. So I hope that as the education system provides more progressive education opportunities, that the bilingual part also becomes more multilinguistic in nature, and not just simply the traditional. And that's actually something I'm not sure how many of them are aware about, but. I came across this idea of translanguaging, which is this multilinguistic idea,、mm. through my studies at Erickson Institute, and I actually found a paper written by a professor in Taiwan on translanguaging. I had a Zoom session with him recently just to talk to him about this because I thought it was very interesting the work he was doing there, and he's been interested in seeing how we can bring this translanguaging concept into the classroom now. Most of the literature on translanguaging is is mostly in high school level or above for students,、mm-hmm. and I'm looking at it from the perspective of preschool and elementary school. So there's a lot of interesting research and work to be done in translanguaging in this part. So I hope that we get a research component on the education system that will support this approach. Because I think that's going to be a much more effective way to to promote bilingualism in our students. Is translanguaging. To learn more about Tinker Seats, go to tinkerseats.com. Or if you're interested in experimental education, you can check out the Taiwan Experimental Education Center at NCCU. Remember to rate, subscribe, and support us on Patreon. Thank you for listening. Taiwan, 加油 